I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to the sponsors of today's show, Josie the Mountain Troll, Pamela, and Seashaw. Thank you so much for your support. This show is dedicated to you. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to early, unedited video footage, listener questions, or be thanked by name, you can find us at patreon.com slash southernbramble. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. And welcome back, everybody, to season three of Southern Bramble. How exciting. This is really exciting. Um, season three, who knew like two years ago when we were like, hey, you want to start a podcast? <laughs> We'd still be here. <laughs> I know. And who knew that we would be getting the opportunity to talk to so many interesting people. Um, That's my favorite part. It, honestly, like, I love our interviews. I love mm. our dialogue. I am so thankful to the people who reach out um, to us, who support our Patreon, um, and also who just reach out and tell us, or, or me specifically, that, um, you know, the conversations that Marshall and I have are impactful and aiding people in their practice that's it's very sweet it's very humbling and yeah so thank you i've gotten so many people that have reached out to me either commented um on a post or dm'd me directly or added something on twitter and just to say like oh i listened to your podcast i learned so much from y'all y'all really push my boundaries of perspective i think that's probably my favorite thing to hear I love the power of that a conversation can have. Like I, I try to eschew the idea that like I have a position of power, speaking of today's episode, a position of like mentorship or or some sense of authority mm-hmm. aside from like being able to speak on what I do and what I know and then like what's, you know, factually or at least academically ascribed to in what I've written. Um, I try not, not to sit in that position, but the funny thing is, is that a conversation can really open somebody's perspective. And I think that's why I enjoy podcasts, um, not even just ours, but like mm-hmm. listening to other people Oh yeah, talk about magic and witchcraft and their practice because it can open up doors for you in ways that you would never expect and and that's the power of that's the power of talking to people and that's why doing things like talking to people traveling things like that having different experiences can put you into new perspectives absolutely especially with those you you may not even realize existed in the first place like i know a lot of us get so 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 um single track mind with well no that's not my practice this is my practice i wouldn't do that in my in my practice and i'm like well have you listened because sometimes people will share something from their practice that is actually extremely 
uh, um, applicable to yours. But if you're never listening to that conversation, if you're like, no, I don't want to listen to that interview. I'm going to skip this one, listen to the next one, because this one doesn't seem like it interests me. You know what? I'm not that interested by astrology, but I have gotten so much education on planetary magic through astrological episodes that I absolutely love. I'm not that interested a person i'm not that interested in tarot but tarot magic is so 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 like magnet like there's so many ways you could use tarot cards and spellcraft and in magic um and divination i still listen to them i still want to learn about them i still want it to inspire me in my practice so i don't like to skip those episodes um even the ones that that are full of information that i'm kind of like you know that's really outdated we know better than that now that doesn't mean that i can't learn from it um i don't like when people like no that that author says this in the book so i don't i don't recommend that book and i'm like not every book is gonna have everything that's for you Mm -hmm. absolutely um consume consume as much as you can yes so we're discussing today about personal power and when Marshall and I had started, you know, after our winter break and kind of gearing up for season three, we were discussing exactly what what some of the episodes that we wanted to be, what our first episode was going to be. And we had both kind of agreed that the first episode should really kind of set the tone for the coming year. Um and, you know, be something that's a little broad, um, but that we can really dig into some, I think, good conversations on, as well as, you know, um, setting the flavor and savor for the year. So we're discussing today personal power. Um, uh, that's my favorite phrase right now is uh, talking about the flavors and savors of something. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, but before we get into it, Let's talk about some New Year's resolutions. It's um, not the beginning of the year. It's February now. Um, but what are some of your New Year's resolutions, if you have any, Marshall? Um, my New Year's resolution is to publish my book. And I want my book to be um, an event. Like, let me rephrase. <laughs> an event. No, no. I have been working on this for about a year now. And... I'm really excited because a lot of it is starting to come together. I'm actually meeting with my editor tonight to go over revisions, artwork, changes, edits, um, while I'm doing his highlights, because that's the agreement we made. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm really excited because I'm starting to get to the point where I have been sending out a few uh, copies to ARC readers. I've gotten some wonderful feedback. I've gotten some wonderful constructive feedback that's been really helpful for, for, for the flow of it. Um, I've been designing covers, which has been really fun. I've been figuring out how I want to make this economical for all. And uh, a little bit of tidbits for people who are listening who may not know just yet. Um, my goal is to have an ebook, a paperback, and two different versions of a hardcover option. And then a fourth, which may come out around the same time, possibly the laughter, is the audiobook version. My mom's boyfriend is a musician and has a little sound studio, and he has offered to not only help me record and and get it, get the whole file ready to go to um, uh, Audible and Amazon, um, but he's also going to put in some music. So it will be some custom music uh, designed specifically for this book. So I'm really excited. There's going to be one, two, 
three, four, five, five different ways that this book could be consumed. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but it's, it's growing and taking on a life of its own. So hopefully, um, hopefully the people will really enjoy it and, and everyone will have access to it. So, cause I'm really excited. It's really exciting to, and uh, thank you for taking me on this journey with you. I've gotten to see I mean, I know you said you've been working on it for a year, but it, it's almost as if you've been working on it for almost, I don't know, like two more? Yes, because the ideas were there before the actual construction. So like I have been focused on folklore and storytelling for like, I want to say a good two years. And it was only, I want to say in the end of 2020, beginning, I don't know, sorry, end of of fall 2021 beginning of 2022 where I started really getting more comfortable and and writing my own stories writing my own folklore talking to other practitioners and understanding how this fits into a practice and um the thought forms it creates the the egregores it works with I mean a huge portion of writing your own folklore and using that in, in magic is technically it's it's a type of chaos magic um but it's not typically thought of as chaos magic because folkloric witchcraft is its own category. But if you're writing your own folklore to work with, you're giving energy to those thought forms. And I'm really excited for other people to read it because then they too can give energy to grow these egregores, these thought forms, these these concepts, these archetypes. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. It's going to be very exciting and um yeah, I think that's, I'm super excited for you. Also, I love the idea of an event. event. Who was it? Yeah, who said, who asked recently if you were going to go on like a book tour? Mystic Chat. The Mystic Chat, it was really fun. And somebody had asked if you were going on like an actual like book mm -hmm tour kind of thing <laughs> and I was like or you said no but I was like I don't know it sounds fun well the only thing about those is those are usually like paid for and run by marketing companies with a publisher right and I'm those things you do not have I, right I don't have any of those things um I, I will not have a marketing team I will not have a editor with the publishing house I will not have people out there um plugging my book and trying to get it out there it's all me and it's all gonna be word of mouth so if you get it if you like it when it does come out by the end of spring that's my goal um she's working on it she's working she's on getting it. there she's, what about you what are your new year's resolutions um you know i'm not a i'm not a new year's resolution setter uh mm. really but How i original. do Hmm. Ooh, ooh, she's different. Um, she doesn't watch drag, right? She doesn't watch Drag Race either. I bet. Um, uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't. Well, I'm kind of always constantly goal setting because I'm thinking, oh, that sounds so very like mm -hmm. I have. Uh, I spend a lot of time doing bullet journaling or something. Listen, um, I don't have a New Year's resolution because I'm always goal setting. I'm a girl boss. <laughs> I'm girl bossing it. Absolutely. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not that. Um, there's always a level of planning and mm -hmm. I, I try and plan pretty far out. Um, I love that. For multiple different reasons, especially one of them being like astrological stuff. Um, but some of the things that I'm really excited for this year is that um, I'm hoping to present more in, uh, um, I have a, I have a 
lecture uh, titled Hellish Fumes and Invernal Vapors, um, Botanical Perfumes and Isolates in Witchcraft and Magic uh, with Botanica Obscura. Um, and so I have another uh, lecture that I'm doing by myself. Um, is this online so or in person? Uh, Botanica Obscura is online. Well, okay. I think everything's online so far. So Botanica Obscura is online. That's in March. And then I have um, my lecture that I'm doing from last year. It's a revision titled um, Poculum Veneris or the Goblet of Venus, um, which is kind of like a a discussion of of love potions and like mm -hmm. practical applications and some rituals and things like that so um doing more public stuff um doing more lectures i hope um yeah that's what i hope to do this next coming year are you telling people to go out there and boil a mandrake and drink the juice is that what you're trying yeah, to do? Yeah. Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love a good mandrake. I, I don't recommend people um drink it for legal reasons, but <laughs> uh 50 drops of a tincture um uh, ought to ought to do it really nicely, but don't do that because it's poisonous. Mm -hmm. Um You'll only do it once. Right. Well you 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 can eat anything once. Right. Well, I mean, um, 50 drops will just make you horny. Um, but really? yeah. Uh-huh. Um, mm -hmm. but no, yeah, don't do it anyways. Legal disclaimer. Legal disclaimer. <laughs> Legal disclaimer. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's very exciting for the both of us. I, I hope to see you um at your very fancy book tour that probably isn't happening right. uh, this year. The local uh, we'll we'll make our own right. <laughs> we'll make our own book tour. Well, should we go ahead and get into the topic of the day? Yes. Let's get into it. We're going to discuss um, personal power, which is power, the power that we we use, we harness, we conjure, um, uh, we direct. Where does it come from? Who Who's giving it? Yeah, what's who's it, what's giving it, made, it? What's it made of? And these are all, I guess we should start off, and I think this is how we we always frame our episodes even mm -hmm. if we don't say it but like these are really matter of opinion and yes um i don't think hopefully that that this comes across as like we're telling you how this this is um mm -hmm. for for me i know like to me personally the power of the witch is not like a personal thing it's mm -hmm. not a like I think there's power from the from the body from the spirit um mm -hmm. i think um everybody has the capability of doing magic to a degree but witchcraft specifically is a power that is bestowed um and it's not bestowed to everybody um and i think that gets into like some like weird like witch blood stuff and that's not where I'm trying to take that, but um... I'd actually like to bring that up in a minute because I think that that could be part that could, that could be part of this discussion, especially than talking about the nuances of it versus just saying we're not going to bring it up at all. Right, absolutely, and yeah. I think we can do that and have a healthy conversation about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do, I don't believe um, in the concept that like anybody who chooses to be a witch is a witch. I don't think that. Um, witchcraft really is a choice, actually. Um, 
but yes, ultimately, um, yeah, it's something that is bestowed upon the person. And this idea that you are relatively insignificant uh, and not in a in a detached nihilistic way um i think we're important but i think ultimately like to the realm of the spirit like you're not that significant and therefore your power is not wholly that grand um and it's only when there's aid from other forces that are larger than you mm -hmm. um do you receive that power well, I did a poll about three days ago on Twitter because I was curious about the about the public opinion of this. And I asked, mm -hmm. where does a witch's power come from? Expanded the comments. And I gave three options. One was from themselves. Two, from an outside source. And three, answered in the comments. And out of 484 votes, 76% of the people who answered said from themselves. I, that doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't. Exactly. I'd like to get in there where 12% said from an outside source and 12% said answer the comments. It has 50 comments on this and only 45 likes. Rude. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> rude. Uh, uh, but it, it did get viewed by uh, over 7,202 viewers so we know that a lot of people like four almost 500 people answered this so it's it's a pretty good sample and i find that very interesting because when we're talking about a witch's personal power a lot of times it is such like you said this is very this is all our opinions and i actually want to talk about several different schools of thought if you will for opinions on this and um one of the things i thought was really really interesting was the fact that since 76% people said from themselves, that tells me a lot more about the grander occult, not the occult, the grander, um, probably more like witch community and how they they think of, of their worldview, their praxis, uh, how they view spirit relation, uh, animism, uh, their own individual power to make shit happen. Um, I find that, I, I actually find that really fascinating because- I personally do agree with you, but I do think that in a lot of the comments didn't feel like it fit in either category. Many of them did say things like, I think it's actually a mixture of both. Um, I think you alone are not able to get that across. If that was the case, everyone would be making shit fly. Um, <laughs> it, you need outside sources with your power to direct it because without the direction, um, you wouldn't be making your own will happen. So I, I really enjoyed this because it was a it was a, a snapshot into the grander community of of self perception, um, but I would love to get into some origins here because there's a couple different schools of thought when it comes to the origin of personal power of a witch, and one of them which gets really really confused with the quote unquote witch blood theory because those two words can carry with them so much weight. But sometimes it really can carry so much weight. But sometimes, again, this is when intention matters because some people say witch blood when they're referring to the idea of the history of, funny enough, the Nephilim. That's a yeah. whole separate story that has nothing to do with the witch blood of, say, my ancestors were witches and it's only part of my family genealogy and we've been passing it down for generations and I am more powerful because of my witch blood and your non-witch blood doesn't give you as much power as my witch blood. Mm -hmm. 
both of those use the concept of witch blood, but in completely different ways. And unfortunately, in the internet community we are in right now, words get hot button um, uh, attachments to them. So I do want to bring up the concept of the witch blood from the story of the Nephilim, because that is something that gets really, really overlooked in modern day. And a lot of people really, really miss the connections to modern day witchcraft from actual um, Abrahamic sources. Uh, uh, and tell me if I'm getting some of this wrong. I'm not going to get huge into all the details, but one of the things that I find really fascinating about um, modern day Wicca is how uh, many parts of it are appropriated. I don't mean misappropriated. Some of them are, but are appropriated from other occult genres. So you have things like calling in the watchtowers and the watchtower was something that was part of um, more uh, spiritualism and, and the uh, occult revival of 1800s. Enochian. Yes. Um, Enochian. It was really brought up in. Right. And then it was. Golden Dawn really revived it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what people don't realize is when, when you're calling the watchtowers, these are the watchers. These are the angels sent de- that came down with humans mm-hmm. during the creation of mankind that then, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of convoluted story that get down into the angels that were watchers that came with mankind assigned by God to watch humanity grow. And then, of course, there were the ones that ended up ended up mating with humans. Those humans had Nephilim children that were giants. And then those Nephilim, basically, the angels taught people magic. And those people then had these children. And it's this really weird convoluted story about angels and Nephilim, fallen angels, and all of it stems back to pre-Christianity. And most people don't realize that when they're calling in the Watchtower of the North, when they're calling in the Watchtower of the South, you are actually getting further deep into history and history that goes all the way back to Abrahamicism. This goes all the way back to early Judaism. This goes back to um, apocryphal sources. This goes back to... um, Uh, pre-biblical books and for many of us especially who don't want to be trafficking in christianity as as witches you are doing it you're doing it every day i yeah i always think it's really funny this um and obviously the conversation's changing but it's still it is it is 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 happening like i see it all the time this Mm -hmm. like um severe trying to like separate oneself from Mm -hmm some sort of like abrahamic flavor and i'm like well and and, it's just it's it's really deeply embedded it's not going away it's embedded in our history and and whether whether you say that's fortunate or unfortunate doesn't matter because it's there and in this aspect of witch blood it's not necessarily about an actual blood lineage it's about the fact that that information from the angels was then given to the people the people then had the powers of divine knowledge and then they pass it on to their children and pass it on to their children. They could heal the sick. I'm not talking about magically touching helium. I'm talking about like actual like plant medicine. I'm talking about potion making. I'm talking about uh, powerful words of God. Um, these are all early aspects and iterations of, of, of mysticism that were then passed down from generation to generation. And again, when we talk about witch blood from the Nephilim, we're not talking about actual um, blood quantum, we're talking about a very specific theory of practitioner. Um, and that's that's its own thing. And you know what? Right. That's okay. But 
when you talk about but, witch, but when you talk about witch blood as in like oh no i have witch blood my ancestors were in salem my grandmother is the is the white witch of castle hill and we are better than you and we have more power than you because of our rich witch bloodline that's problematic bloodline bloodline <laughs> Um, we are the Nepo babies of the the, the crypto <laughs> of the cryptocurrency bro, or the crypto bros that you couldn't uh, cancel. Yeah, you couldn't um, burn them. Literally, it's crypto. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, when uh, do you want to get a little bit into uh, the, that other side of like witch blood? And, sure. And... Yeah, you talk a little bit more about that side because I feel like most people didn't know about the history of of the influence of Abrahamicism and the Nephilim. In, in modern witch theory because it's so, 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 so far removed and back in history that they miss that connection. So I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people are just unaware of, of that influence. But again, when it comes to witch blood, there are other places. So please talk about that. Yeah, certainly the Apocrypha too, like we kind of miss that gap because the Apocrypha is just not in the bible it's removed um, from the bible Accounts it's removed from the bible um but uh there are some bibles with the apocrypha added which are very interesting mm-hmm. um but the book of enoch is like five books so um and most of the nephilim stuff is referring to the first and the second um but in terms of the we're the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn mm. um i think that it's funny that how that came into pop culture and Mm -hmm. how I think everyone was using it for a minute well I mean it was it was supposed to be focusing on on supportive feminism of women standing up for each other of being like no 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 I will not go down like my he put my grandmother down I get it Uh uh-huh I get its origin and then it developed into cringe culture yes and now it's a joke Mm -hmm. um and I think like girl boss (laughs) like like no literally I think memes really tell you where you where things are standing. Like right now, um, we're seeing a lot of memes that are like, oh, when she's an astrology girl mm-hmm. or like, oh, when she's just delusional or, you know, whatever. And uh, funny enough, there's always like some embedded misogyny into that because um, usually it refers to women. Um, so anyways, I think uh, memes, they tell you a lot about the the popular conversation mm-hmm. going on in the world um but the we are the grand the witches that you couldn't burn thing i think it really tries to hold on to a mythic like back in the day my great granny was potentially a healer or something like that and we do see instances of like folk healers folk magicians sometimes yes even witches that do come up in blood lineage but then it gets into the really problematic idea of like my because i have a historical lineage to some sort of medicine or magic i'm therefore then better than you Um, and i think that's where a lot of this problem comes in it creates elitism certainly Mm -hmm. certainly um but you know i think too also the idea or the concept of witch blood as a whole is somewhat inherently elitist like even my my theory of like not everyone's a witch Mm -hmm. 
still is separating a group of people from another group of people. And I, I can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's always going to be like a sense of gatekeeping, but I think also too, again, gatekeeping, gatekeeping isn't bad. And there are throughout every culture, throughout every moment in time, specific roles that are designated to people. Um, and it's okay that not everybody has every, there are certain things that I don't have that I know other people have that I'm, and that's, that's fine. We're still practitioners of magic, mm -hmm. but like there are seeing things that I can't do because I'm just not, that's just not me. I'm not given them. Like, I don't have, um, like I have a friend who is very strongly clairvoyant and like will see physical apparitions. Um, and that's just part of what they do. Um, they're very good at spirit spiritism um, and spiritualism. I don't have that gift. My gift comes in, in different ways. Um, and so that's okay. That's okay that we don't have that. Actually, I wouldn't want that. It sounds awful. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but you know, yeah, so there, there's different things that other people have and other people do, and we just ha are, have to be okay with that. Absolutely. And I feel like after all of this, these are very actually very extremely nuanced topics because many of them, again, we're talking about personal power. So in these topics that usually become tiny tweets or sound bites that people like to to clip and then respond to to say how they disagree it really leaves no room for having that nuanced conversation. So here we are talking about witch blood, a very, very heated word that that literally could be taken and interpreted as, oh, Marshall's talking about blood quantum. And I'm like, well, unless you listen to this 20 minute diatribe that both of us have had, then no, you have no idea what we're talking about. And unfortunately, these hot button topics become so hot that people won't talk about them and it becomes very frustrating because then we miss out on some really really good perspectives viewpoints information do you know how weird it was when i realized that that scene from <laughs> from the craft about calling the watchtowers goes all the way back to to uh enochian rites and and uh, uh very christian magic very christian, very magic. christian magic good christian yeah. magic and i i never would have and i never would have expected that and it was surprising to me because no one is actually talking about some of these origin stories so um I know you have a very different idea origin-wise about where witch's power comes from. We're talking a little bit about individual personal cosmologies here too. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe like, I know you've mentioned the idea of, of the devil being the first witch or the folkloric devil being the first witch. Do you want to talk about that a little bit in this episode or yeah. points on that? Because that is a source of power when it comes yeah. to your practice. Certainly. Um, so I have been on this kick where I'm like, I really want to start discussing or, or writing um, a personal cosmology. Mm -hmm. um, if you look back, uh, I think Esoterica just did um, something I think on Yeats, um, or maybe it was Walt Whitman, I don't remember, but there's like this book that 
Yeats or Walt, uh, Walt Whitman wrote, and it was like a storybook. It's like a cosmological storybook. Interestingly enough, he had this entire fantastic story that took years and years to produce. It was a, a, a storybook essentially with full of illustrations. I'll send you the link to it. Please. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, and you know, these, these gods, these deities that are in there, they're completely, you know, from the mind of the author himself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it goes through this entire fully saturated cosmology. I mean, it's like proto star Wars almost, um, it's so fascinating. So I think we should bring that back um, because people have done that before. You know, there's obviously like Wicca, there's origin stories in Wicca, there's, you know, all these things. And I, I think that um, it's good to to ponder our own mythology. For me personally, um, I do see the devil as the first witch. Um, and I also see other initiatory spirits that have come Along with that, um, I have a very strange worldview in terms of the spirits that are in it. It's very <laughs> eclectic. Um, I'm reclaiming that term. Ultimately, I see witches as like a rose. I call witches um, that we are imbued with the devil's seed that is predestined. And this germination process that happens upon initiation is not germination by water, but germination by fire. And when we offer part of ourselves, our, we fractionate our soul, we cut or sever a part of us from our human souls, we are um, trading that in exchange for the other, um, the other being like the world of uh, fairy or or then some um and that is filled into us we are we are part of them and this is what i call the witch's fire and the witch's fire is our power and from that we bloom as a rose and we are um beautiful and sharp and yeah that's this is our our stream of of power so if someone were listening to this and messaged you saying, did you just say that you sold your soul to the devil? How would you respond to that? I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I also don't, I, I don't necessarily think that like I personally had much of a choice. So um, like, I don't know. There's a lot of. You did mention the predestination as part of this. Yeah. So I, I would ascribe as like a fatist, mm -hmm. like somebody who, believes in in fate and destiny and i don't that's such like a when we get into those subjects as like very modern people we're like well no i have a choice and i have you know x y and z but the thing is it's like do you really know if you do i mean i guess everything is just left up open to interpretation of like it's not that i disagree with the concept of free will but i also just i believe in like you're meant to do certain things in your life or certain things are going to happen for you that you don't really have control over or a way to dictate your yourself from that, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. Uh, I love this personal cosmology for you.
Thank you. <laughs> but yours is different. No, right? it is. It is very different. And I actually, um, well, I, I, I recognize the nuances of 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 fate and choice and how they're not always congruent with each other. But I also feel like that's, in my opinion, part of the mystery tradition in the first place for me personally. So when it comes to to my personal cosmology, I think it is a choice one has to make. Like, yes, you you have the ability, you have the the um the inclination, you have something within you that has this connection. Um, but I do believe that there is the choice that has to be made to take it. Um, and I I probably wouldn't describe my cosmology as selling my soul to the devil, but I also recognize that I do believe in spirit contracts and I don't necessarily feel that the contract itself is a soul barter as much as it is a um, a working relationship, a working spiritual relationship, if you will. And I do think, just so it's said, I do think the concept of of selling your soul to the devil really, really, really is so much bigger than the actual idea is, if that makes sense, because the soul is a man-made concept in the first place. And, and what a soul is, is not something that we can really put to, to words, if that makes sense. The idea of selling your soul to the devil is a Christian concept in the first place. So doing it from a witch's perspective takes on a whole different idea. And I, I just want to put that out there. So people being like clutching their pearls aren't, aren't, you can clutch your pearls with yeah, you mine. Can, yeah, I you, mean, yeah, it, it's you can fine. Clutch your pearls. But yeah. I want to throw out there to understand that it's not quite as simple as as the way that the um, Witchfinder General would consider it, if, if, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. That's very funny that you brought that up. Uh, not, yes. not the Witchfinder General. Witchfinder not Mr. Increase and his father, Cotton Mathers. Oh, yes. But when it comes to my personal cosmology... I see things as very archetypal. Um, I know I've talked about this before. I, I follow this concept of um, the witch king and queen or the witch father, witch mother, and all that lies in between. Um, and that's the, that's a triangle of, of physical and non-physical and everything that exists in between. So that is my cosmology. And I would say very much that the, the physical the witch king is also the folkloric devil, the man in black, the horned one, this this gatekeeper of the physical realm. And that is the person that I made an initiatory bargain with as a devotional, as an initiation. And then in my praxis, that opens the gate to the non-physical. That's where you get access to the witch queen. That's where you get access to the, the non-physical... It's it's hard to explain there because that's the hardest one that because you can't see it. It's it's something that you know is there that you reach out and grasp. It's the tapestry of reality that you are weaving, which is of course why I love not magic. But that's not here nor there. That's 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 closer to my personal cosmology. And it's interesting. What I just said could absolutely from a witchfinder general be wrapped up in, oh, contracts, sold the soul to the devil. I'm like in it, to me, it's not quite that simple because I see things in a less Christian perspective and in more of a spirit-based perspective. As long as we're talking about spirits, I think before we get into anything furthermore, we need to talk a little bit about animism. I have this on the list specifically because 
in my cosmology and in your cosmology, we have this idea and concept that spirit exists in all things. So if you are talking about a witch's personal power, you have to put it in a relationship to how you see how you relate to the world around you. As an animist, when I look at my computer, I recognize that there is spirit within my computer. There's spirit in my home. There's spirit in my car. There's spirit in the trees that surround my house. There's spirit in the rocks. There's spirit um, in my city. There's spirit of, of the United States. There's spirit of earth, air. Everything is spirit. These sigils that I create are a, an individual thought form, a spirit of desire that I have given a name to with a symbol. So in my personal cosmology, when I am calling upon or spirits it is not always me casting a circle getting out the good old king you know king of solomon 72 demons and conjuring up a spirit with some sort of abrahamic uh, 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 evocation that is not the spirit conjuring that i do on a regular basis my spirit conjuring involves the power of reaching into certain areas and pulling those spirits into my workspace to then help me do the work that I need to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I think too, I mean, there's varying degrees of, of animism and the thoughts behind that too. So mm -hmm. it's not so holistic. Like some, some people um, recognize animism as things that are like quote unquote natural, whatever that means, um, or things that have like faces within them or recognizable faces like knees um, <laughs> exactly like knees or we've all or seen those like, baby faces and knees i absolutely <laughs> i don't know should you go get that checked i mean look up baby faces in knees on google and you will be shocked you'll never look at knees the same again i have to do this um for me animism is within anything I, I do take like a, a very similar approach to the way that you view it Marshall in the mm -hmm. way that like um everything is imbued with spirit and I think in like a roundabout way perhaps it can get really convoluted very quickly like oh does my does my uh credenza then have spirit uh yes um, is are those the things that I'm trying to interact with? Uh, perhaps not, mm -hmm. but um, it's not a human spirit, right? Absolutely, and I know for for some people, um, for for some things, it, it really is all about like the human, the the anthropocentricness of it mm -hmm. all. The um, you know, so I just don't see it that way. But yeah, everything, um, plants, animals. Um, the materia magica so mm -hmm. material is also imbued with spirit and therefore like we can't forget that material is important um which is why i always cringe sometimes um or i i don't cringe but i i don't see it in the way that other people do when we just talk about like how witchcraft should transcend the material or you don't need materials to be a witch or mm -hmm. to do witchcraft or magic like um you don't need tools you just need yourself and you know things like that i i don't see it that way so as long as we're talking about again this is actually going to be a really conversational episode i'm excited because things are flowing in a really nice way we're talking about spirits we're talking about the concept 
of of spirits being in everything and i think one of the big things that comes down to 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 language and how um we think about a, a witch's personal power and how they are using power outside of their own individual source but i think when it gets down to things having spirit and working with those spirits in our craft we get down to some very interesting language i want to talk about evoking and invoking because these are two words that get like thrown around a lot in witchcraft and they both have to do with with spirits or deities or 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 beings of energetic power and i want to talk about these two words cuz i think they become really confusing do you ha- do you ever use invoking or evoking in your practice no i kind of just put that placeholder at like conjuration mm-hmm. um but that also applies to like an operation in general like a working in general yes. for me um the and maybe maybe you have this down already but discussing the term to like evoke to invoke and then to conjure Mm -hmm. um all of these things kind of have separate definitions but they They also get used very interchangeably they do we should probably give some definitions for before we move forward (laughs) absolutely uh like when it comes to evoking evoking in my opinion is the smaller one when i am evoking a spirit i am conjuring them forward and giving them a task to go back out into the reality to do. I I am putting the power and basically hiring them or making a contract for this spirit or energetic being to carry out my will. Whether I am evoking the power of rosemary, sage, and lemongrass for a a tea for a cold, or whether I am evoking um, the, the man at the crossroads whether I am evoking the uh, four elements to come into my circle and hear what my specific desire is to aid me in my spell and then to depart and carry it out within reality. That is the aspect of putting the spirit or conjured energetic being in charge of taking care of the business that I need to take care of. But invoking is a little different. Invoking is the power or the act of taking that deity that spirit that energetic source into yourself and commanding something to happen in the name of the power that you have invoked into your soul into your body into your mind into your heart into your energetic being that is literally the merge of your soul's existence and with the existence of the conjured spirit deity or energetic being and and commanding it to happen because you have invoked the power of that being i feel like this is my opinion here it's a much larger operation it's it's a little bit of a of a, of a different way of going about things when i call in earth to help me with the healing i am not calling them into my body and then commanding it i'm calling it forward to sit in front of me like we're having a meeting we're going to work on this together and i'm going to send you back out to take care of it but so would you oh go ahead oh sorry uh, no, I was just going to ask, would you ascribe that to possession? I, I would definitely say invoking and possession are extremely similar, if not on the same page. I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people are using spirit possession more now because it is a much, it is a much straight to the point 
version of what invoking usually means. Invoking historically was used a lot in grimoires for invoking the power of God, saying the powerful names of God to invoke their power, to command these spirits. Because a lot of these old grimoires, it was not you that was doing the magic. It was the power of God that you were calling down within your in yourself, then forcing these spirits to do your will. Um, in modern day, there are a lot of practices now that use terms spirit possession instead. Uh, and I think it actually, in my opinion, it, it goes a little bit more to the point of what they're doing. Um, I know I see this a lot more too in more religious settings than I see them so much in, in I would say, secular settings, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so to get to some definitions, the term um, voce or vo vo voca, to call, um, to call upon, and then uh, ex, obviously, like to call from or to call out from or to like, like uh, think of your root words, exit, um, uh, express, um, things like that. The word ex meaning um, out of or from. So from someplace, so we're thinking about drawing something from somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And then evoke, obviously, is like to be in or upon something. So invocation, to be in or within. Um, but I also know, too, like a lot of these, like invocation, evocation, get used very interchangeably through <laughs> even like academic stuff, honestly, I and, feel like they get changed. Material. I feel like they get used interchangeably because people are not recognizing the difference between the two, the sub the subtle differences between the two. And then, of course, we have um, conjure, um, uh, meaning to swear, uh, to swear together, or pact, pactus, pacto, paxis, um, to to swear. Um, so, yeah. So the concept of, of conjuring a spirit literally by its root definition implies a bargain, a contract. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And then like making a pact, uh, making a pact, especially um, swearing together. Um, so, or, or making a promise or uh, a trade or, you know, things like that. So it's very interesting, the, these words and how they come out together. That there is. And in fact, that actually goes into our next topic, a personal power, power from spirits, contracts. I think that gets into conjuring. Um, now that we've talked about animism and how spirit is in everything, now that we've talked about evoking and invoking and, and how we're going to traffic with these spirits, how we're going to, you know, consider when you're conjuring, who you're conjuring, what you're conjuring, these spirits you may make contracts with. This is a huge area of, of personal power because many times if you are only ever using the power of self, in my in my personal opinion, if all you're ever considering is the power of self, I don't see how you can get really far unless you're not being honest with how you're using other powers around you as well. So like even when I am making a spell, I say it's a spell candle. Let's be really simple here. Say it's a spell candle. I am 
using a um, dragon's blood and sense cone. And I rolled a spell candle in uh, black pepper. And I'm going to say a incantation to protect my home. What color is the candle? The color is black, actually. Okay. Okay. So it's a black candle covered in black pepper. And I have dragon's blood incense going. When I am doing a ritual that has those what three ingredients olive oil i'm not even using an intention oil here you can layer it of course with a more of an intention oil a protection oil if you will but the point is is that i'm giving you a scenario here where i have three separate spirits i have the spirit of a color black which is protective which is warding which puts up walls that can't be seen through i have black pepper also more warding and more stay away I don't, I don't want, I, I want nothing to cross this boundary. And then I have the spirit of dragon's blood, which is a, a wonderful spirit scent that, that is pleasing to these spirits. That is an offering to the spirits who are coming to my aid. I haven't even gotten into spirits of my land. I haven't gotten into spirits of elements. I haven't gotten into spirits of fire yet. I've already got three spirits. I got the color. I have the, the black pepper and I have the incense. I am evoking these spirits i am telling them what i want to do when i add fire to it sure yes now i've got another element and we're going to go in elements next but when we are are doing these rites, and this is a very oversimplified way to look at it i am contracting with these spirits they are helping me and i am sometimes giving them something back i may be giving them my attention a lot of times when I have an incantation that I have to say like seven times, I have to say it 13 times. It's not just because I chose a random number or because I chose an astrological number. It's also devotion. When I am giving so much attention to this, this, these spirits within my spell, they in turn may do something for me. I may offer them a little blood. I may offer them a little spit in that oil that I put around my candle. I may offer them um, uh, an actual offering the incense itself is or could be an offering to the spirits that I have then contracted to help me in this protective spell. So that's a, a specific example I'm trying to give so you can see what a simple contract looks like. It doesn't always look like going down to the crossroads, going to a graveyard, conjuring up some demon from the <laughs> from the, the uh, Lesser Key of Solomon to make a written contract. There are contracts in a lot of our spellcraft all the time. We just don't realize it because we've gotten so far away from seeing it as a contractual agreement with a spirit that we're seeing it a lot of times as a recipe book. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the um, the recipe, the re- re- recipization, the recipe, you know, the constitution of the operation mm-hmm. always um, comes down to viewing magic almost like you're baking a cake mm-hmm. um, or that it, it's really this like particleized thing. And that's that's not really the case. Um, Katya <laughs> uh, from uh, uh for their like Halloween episode, their most recent one was like, you know, it's it's if you need to to kill the baby for the spell, or if you need baby's blood, um, just take the whole baby. It's it's not like you need like one hydrogen and one oxygen um, atom for each to to get the spell done. And I think that's a really funny um, and humorous way to like think of how 
oftentimes we particleize mm-hmm. um magic now is there a mag- is there a reason sometimes why we're using certain numbers of things yeah yes. or sometimes is it is it um uh you know because that's just what the spirit said to do um certainly um so for me personally like these contracts or these promises uh is is everything in my magic mm-hmm. um these contracts and and these offering to do things a lot of the time it shows up as making a spirit house for something mm-hmm. um a lot of the times it shows up as performing something over a long period of time or sometimes indefinitely mm-hmm. right um and this is because like these spirits have a means to an end they have desires too there's reasons that things operate with us not just because we ask them to sometimes yes because we ask them to but like it's not just for like i'm not going to go do something for somebody that i have no relationship with i'm not going to do something for somebody um for nothing Mm-hmm. I want things. I have desires. I'm not going to go work for free. I, I expect to get paid by my boss. And that's our contract. That's our exchange. And it's mm-hmm. indefinite. Until you, when you stop paying me, I'm not working anymore. Well, you know, this really is, this goes to the heart of a lot of familiar contracts. Like, like if I make a familiar contract, so say I want to to reach out to a specific familiar, a spirit, maybe an herbal familiar, and I'm going to once a month offer it a drop of blood if under the full moon. And then it just so happens that, you know, like, oh, I forgot. It's been a couple of weeks. Honestly, if that's the case, I have broken my contract. Why the fuck should it still keep working for me? The same way that if I am no longer being paid by my salon, why am I still coming to work every day? One of the things that I do as part of my regular spirit agreement is I have a very specific prayer that I have written and I have very specific things that I do that I I say that written thing as a devotional every single day. Once a month, I make a very specific ritual or rite that I do as part of this promise. And the thing is, is whenever I am doing spellcraft, when I'm calling upon these spirits, I don't have to do a lot of tit for tat anymore because I'm actually doing a tit every single day. When I ask for the simple tat back, they are ready. They are ready. Yeah, it's like calling up your friend to to, to do something for you. Like yes. if you're the friend who's if if your friend is always um the one paying for you at the bar every time you go out or always paying for you to go to dinner, but you never offer that back. I mean, that's not really a relationship. It's one sided. Um That's part of one of the reasons why I'm an advocate for daily practice, because daily practice can look as simple as making a daily devotional to make sure when it comes time for you to ask for the help they're ready to give it for you right and and um yeah just like what you said like i have an example of screwing up one of my uh one of my packs right and it it quick things quickly went wrong Mm -hmm. and then i have to like fix that i have to over reprimand that I have to you know be kind of profuse in what I'm doing and be very attentive to this these some of these spirits um to make sure that like I'm okay because this is part of the reason why people say witchcraft is dangerous and this isn't like an edgelord like mm-hmm. ooh, ooky spooky if you fuck up uh you're done for um because it wasn't that obviously but you will quickly notice or at least i quickly notice like oh 
um that went away like you know it, uh, we'll like we'll say for spoiling. example exactly exactly you it, left it out overnight it's spoiled if you try to use spoiled. it now it's it's you may risk a serious tummy ache or even like retaliation of just like hey dude fuck you <laughs> like fuck you you know you know this or even sometimes when you're just you know you misplaced the you know say say a, a drop of blood on the full moon is a really good example um like hey to get your attention it's like we're gonna make you i don't know um sick you know and and, and then you get a cold and it's like oh was was that a cold or was that um you know befalling on me or was that because of of a spirit contract and also like are those really that dissimilar when i was taking jason miller's hikate class you have a very specific mantra that you minimum must say a hundred times a day and if you miss a day the next day you have to make up for it by saying it a thousand times it it was it was it's literally that simple and the whole point of it is you are keeping a connection alive if you miss it you have dropped that chain of connections. So you have to make up for it in some way. And so the next day you say it a thousand times and now you're back on board. It's it's basically you are doing the work to get that life preserver to get back on the ship, if that makes sense. Um, now, do I think it's that way with every single spirit? No, Kante is pretty big. <laughs> no, yeah, but also too, like like you said, like some spirits will ask for different things. Like I, it's not like a one size fits all thing going on here you know some some things um you know need different things i think that segues into things like elements you know yeah. like spirits of um there is like a concept of for for certain spirits as being symbolic of like a living or not even symbolic but like are housed within a flame mm -hmm. and so when you're burning something the flame is literally that spirit and if the fire goes out that spirit's gone um so constantly keeping that fire going whether with fuel with wood with a candle is actively keeping that fire alive um on the practice or the spirit like does that mean you can never let that flame go out probably not most people want you to be safe and don't want you to constantly have a flame going when it comes to evoking the power of the elements uh that is hugely interwoven into a witch's power i mean this goes back historically for a long period of time this goes back into alchemy this goes into the idea of the four you know elements and now of course there's the fifth spirit earth air fire water and spirit there are these concepts that that have a long history in the occult and in witchcraft and there, I mean, even in Wicca and in certain religion and certain religious practices, there's a concept of at your altar you have four representations of the elements because those elements themselves are are present for your rites, for your prayers, for your ceremonies. You are literally calling them in to be present for these rites. Um and it that also can connect back to the watchtowers as well, which again takes us right back to the beginning. <laughs> it goes, uh, yeah, it can go to the watchtowers. It can also include, um, you know, the Paracelsian spirits of sylphs, uh, salamanders, nymphs, and uh, gnomes. Mm -hmm. And um, I know in like Wicca, that comes up a lot. It's also, it comes up in my, in what I do too, but not really in like a formalized ritual way. And 
-hmm. I also have like a, a different idea, I think, to Paracelsus. Like the names get really confusing. He calls them something that are already things. And so you kind of have to make those distinctions. Like, like I don't think spirits. That, yeah, I don't think that like the gnomes that um, uh, Paracelsus is talking about is like a gnome that we talk about from folklore. Yeah. Um, uh, or like the salamanders are not the same as like a dragon mm -hmm. um so tidbit uh, uh, uh tangents and and splitting hairs but like those things are still spirits and and paracelsus in his text a treatise on salamanders sylphs nymphs and gnomes um details and 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 these things that are like not human um but also are very much very very similar to humans and how humans are very similar to aerial spirits or sylphs because they travel through the air and so do we and um yeah it's very interesting i mm -hmm. highly recommend reading it um if you haven't it's pretty short i i work with elements a lot but i work with them in a uh uh cardinal direction way and if anyone has has done any research on traditional witchcraft if you have read um Gemma Gary's traditional witchcraft if you read the crooked math by Kelvin if you've read besom sting and sword um by Chris and and, and Tara Laura uh you will notice that they have a very specific genre of a compass where say east corresponds with fire because that is where the sun rises south corresponds to the earth because it's literally below our feet west corresponds with water because to the west of us is the pacific ocean and in fact to the west of almost every country there is an ocean so that kind of works across the board and then north is considered air because it's above us so a lot of times these cardinal directions are associated with very specific virtues. So when I am doing healing work, I will call upon the familiar hair of the South, this familiar, this archetype, this entity of earth, of healing dirt beneath our beneath our feet, of the herbs that grow and carry healing powers, of, of the very, very land and soil and minerals and carbon that make up the blood, bones, and, and existence of our body. So I will work healing magic by evoking the power of earth and the south and this cardinal direction. If I am working, say, powers of, of like, say, sex and desire and maybe love magic, I probably use fire of the rising east and the, uh, the rising sun in the east. If I was working emotional magic, moon magic, dream magic, I'd probably work with water in the west because of its fluidity. If I was working with, um, curses, bindings, spirit communication, and, and divination. I'd work with north, the air, the spirits of the air, the spirits that the, the familiar crow that can fly up and down, can transverse worlds of the above and the below. Um, that is the element or direction that I would call upon and evoke. Again, I am not taking them into my body and commanding a spirit to do what I want by taking in another spirit. I am asking the spirit to come into my sacred space. I have made an offering, whether that's attention or that is incense or that is like a libation of some kind or something that they have directly told me they want. Um, and I will ask it. So, and I'll ask, sorry, I will evoke it. I am bringing it in. We are doing a working together and I'm sending it off to do my business for me. That is how I might work with an element as as a an aspect of of a personal witch's power does that make sense 
Absolutely. Okay, good, good, good. Because I feel like everyone talks about the elements in a way that is so like, oh, yes, earth, air, fire, water, spirit. Excellent. Love it. Call them all in. And I'm like, cool, call them all in. What are you going to do with each of them? Why do you need all of them? Absolutely. And I, I, I personally don't work with them in that way. And I also, I don't know, I don't know. I don't give too much thought to like the four elements in terms of um, this like holistic balanced concept. I, I don't know. I don't think about them too much in that way. I think, uh, I guess like Paracelsian alchemy, you know, there's, it's a, it's a little humoral theory. It's a little, um, planetary magic. It's a little alchemy. It's a little, yeah. And of course, that's one of the great parts of having this conversation. We're talking about personal power and our interpretations of personal power and our opinions about the origins of a witch's power. And you're sharing how, how you would call upon, evoke, or see specific spirits within your practice, and and I'm sharing mine. My hope for this episode is people are going to hear these different perspectives, and either it's going to affect their craft, or it's going to have the opportunity for them to see things from a different worldview, because um, I think when it comes to a lot of reasons why we create such wonderful communities is we one like to look for validation within each other. We like to see that, okay, I'm not crazy. These experiences are happening to other people. But you also get to see so much artistry, so much different interpretation. And yeah. it's it's such an amazing thing because it, it allows for growth of the spirit, if you will. And that, I don't know, I feel like that's the, of, of your personal spirit and your personal connection to the spirit world. And um, before we get on to ancestors, I just want to say Paracelsius sounds like a energy drink. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? it, does, it um, does. Well, his, his actual name uh, was Theophrastus Bombastus von Honenheim. Um, and I think... I love to say, <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to say it like, um, like in the same accent as the the Rock Me Amadeus, um, the song Theophrastus Bombastus von Honenheim. Um, oh, of course, of course, because why wouldn't you say it that way, Marshall? Do you have? So I can't talk about my ancestral practices very much. Um, do you have an ancestral practice? Not really. Um, okay. Yeah. So yes and no. To a degree, I do have a small altar with um, a few pictures of 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 people who have passed within my life. My grandma, a good friend. Um, it's there to honor them, but am I calling upon them to help me very often? No, I am not. But do you? Um, can I ask? Is that yes, go ahead. for any? reason or do you just not give much thought to it or do you think it's because they they wouldn't like it um my, my honest take and this is something again that i wish more people would just be super honest about i saw other people were doing it and i thought i should do that that was it fair. and and you know what it's gathering a lot of dust fair. i had my grandma died when i was in first grade my other friend whose pictures on there passed away when i was about 20 years old so just a few months ago and um because <laughs> i'm i'm just now 21 um, right right you're very young so young just so young and I mean, your skin is looking great 
thank you. It's not the ring light at all. <laughs> but I think a lot of times we see things in the community that others are doing and we think, oh, I should probably do that too. And I give it a little attention for some time. And and I have to admit nowadays, I, I really enjoy it because I walk by and I see this picture of my friend. I see my my grandmother and I'm lucky to have my other two two grandparents and uh, eventually they'll probably go go on there as well. But I would say when it comes to ancestor worship, there is no, sorry, no ancestor worship in my practice. When it comes to ancestor work, there is an aspect of calling in the dead of my land, the spirits of my land, but specifically the dead of my land. And I'm talking about a collective of 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 beings of of those that have gone before me, whether they are queer or or um or witches, basically specifically the spirits who are no longer here. And, and and mostly the dead. I call in the dead to to witness my rites once a month whenever I make an offering or for big rituals. Um, I think there is an aspect of acknowledging and and inviting them in, if that makes sense, that I think is wonderful, uh, not only for, you know, for them as acknowledgement, but the aspect of of what what a community does as as we're all alive, that community still exists after they are no longer alive. And I like participating within that community, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I I really can't I can't speak too much on any of my um practices in that realm, but I would also say there's a really big emphasis on witch dead and mm -hmm. um patron ancestral mm -hmm. witch spirits um yeah and that also goes into a lot of like mythic figures and 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 things like that obviously it's no secret to anybody that um there's like a relationship that i have with the witch of endor um especially as like a necromancer um or like uh somebody who is able to to call forth the dead um so yeah definitely uh that but that's that's honestly kind of all i can say about that there's another um thing that we have here mm -hmm. is is powers from deities and i guess we should kind of get into deification and what that looks like i am assuming you mostly meant like gods yeah i i actually wanted to kind of lead up from kind of the aspect of like introdu introducing terminology introducing spirits grander scale things and then really kind of getting to gods goddesses deities and funny enough i actually asked earlier this week on twitter do you believe there is a functional difference between a god and a spirit expand the comments 85% of the responses said yes, 15% said no. That's out of 255 votes. So 85%, that's a that's a pretty large amount of people who absolutely believe there is a functional difference, not fundamental, functional difference between a spirit and a god. And I find that really interesting. And I, I hope people paid attention to the word um, functional 
because fundamentally, sure, of course, there's a difference between a spirit and a god, If especially if we're talking about Rosemary <laughs> being a spirit and say like Hecate or um, Zeus or Thor. There is a difference. Yeah. Um, you think there's a difference, I would assume, right? Fundamentally, yes. I think functionally... functionally that's where things get a little bit more gray because I know a lot of people whose entire practices does not call upon deities or gods ever. And they call upon spirits all the time. I very much am someone who never really calls upon gods, if you will, but I do call upon spirits and archetypes and I have invoked and evoked these energetic beings, if you will. And I have found functionally there's not much of a difference, if that makes sense. What do you feel about that statement? How do you think about it? I think that a lot of the reason that we are um, most in like the the wider witchcraft populace, so um, hellbent, and this isn't, it's going to sound like a dig, but I don't mean it to be. Mm. Um, so hellbent on, uh, she said, hmm, mm. I don't know, passive aggressive. No, um, no, I love it. I love I, it. I, th- I think the reason that we're so hellbent on, on this deification or, or having like patronage or matronage or yada, 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 I think it really just comes back to like the conflation between paganism or I'm sorry, neo-paganism and witchcraft mm-hmm. and this idea that like, like while while the the elaborated theory of witchcraft didn't come around really until the early modern period um there's still like renegade or 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 witch figures like even throughout paganism and things like that so like there were still people who are doing unsanctioned magic there Mm -hmm. are still people who are not calling upon the gods and getting the good gods and um to to do the work i don't know if that's really making sense i don't have um a a deified practice in terms of like calling upon gods or or things like that there is um some hecatean magic stuff that i you know um have a relationship with but it's not really like i wouldn't say that it looks like um a hecate practice to any by any stretch of the imagination um most of my spirit my my witchcraft is spirit centered absolutely but i uh, I, I may call upon or name certain um gods especially when i'm working with spirits that uh typically are associated with a particular spirit for example i recently did i made these like figures um for the Lampadions or the Lampadions or the uh, Lampades, which are these torch-bearing um, spirits that roam the underworld and are also a part of Hecate's horde. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may evoke um, or name um, Hecate uh, during these rites to conjure these spirits, um, but I'm not really well, that's directly... Just hierarchy right um as as much as i try not to to make the the work that i do hierarchical there's still like this level of 
like that is your your matron that's what, who you're working yes. for i gotta ask mom before if she can let her kids out to play <laughs> <laughs> that's uh a very interesting way to put it yeah um so yeah certainly what about you well so i again also do not have a very dfi practice i work very much like i said with the concepts the archetypes of the physical and non-physical the witch king and the witch queen um so there is this this mother aspect the non-physical the power the threads that pull the universal strings of reality and then there's the physical gatekeeper and the hand holder and the physical manifestation of that in our world so those are the two energies that i work with but i do not necessarily call them deities i call them spirit forces i refer to them as spirit forces um they are not gods because they have not been given i mean (sighs) I mean, if if Aphrodite had never been called a goddess, would she still be a god or would she be a, a spirit nymph? I mean, this kind of gets into a bigger, larger conversation. But the reason I don't consider them to be deities is because or, or gods or goddesses is because, again, I think that kind of, especially in paganism, that really comes down to a huge portion a huge part of of personifying um, human attributes. And I feel like a lot of these things are beyond human attributes and they get more into um, universal attributes. This is just my cosmology here. But I did another poll last week and I was curious, and this was specifically centered around goddesses. And I asked, are goddesses involved in your practice or craft? And out of 613 votes, 83%, 83%. 83% <laughs> said yes. 83% out of 613 and 17 said no. So again, here we are with a pretty big sample of the online community of practitioners and 83% are working with some form of goddess or goddesses. And um, I found that very interesting because this goes back to the paganism aspect of, of being a witch. So I'm curious, obviously neither of us are out here bowing heads to gods or anything, but I find very fascinating the idea of worship versus venerate or the terminology work with. Do you have specific terminology that you prefer to use when referring to spirits, deities, higher energetic beings if you will um well i always joke that i am a devil worshiper and that's such a a poor misnomer to actually like what i do i don't have a worship practice i have a if i don't do something bad things will happen Mm -hmm. practice um or or things will um, I'll become unhappy with the results that I receive out of that. Not necessarily um, a bad things will happen, but yeah, bad for me. Um, so uh, I don't, I say work with a lot. Mm-hmm. I do contract a lot of spirits. I do um, give tasks to spirits, but ultimately there's only a handful of spirits that I um have like a consistent 
working relationship with that lasts throughout the year. Some of these co spirit contracts are seasonal. Sometimes they're like literally like based off of the season. Sometimes they're um, when I need something, um, which, you know, that, that implies that they're, uh, that kind of pokes holes through the the working relationship thing that I have where I talk about, you know, ma magic being relational. It doesn't mean that it isn't relational, but it means it's a different kind of relationship, right? Tit for mm -hmm. tat. Um, for me, evoke, invoke, uh, venerate, worship, um, work with, those are all, they're very loose for me. Mm -hmm. For somebody who who says that words really matter, um, that's probably one of the few times that I'm like, eh, semantics. Eh, semantics. Eh, eh. Because I don't really um, care for the term worship. I do stray away from that one because I think it adds a religious flavor to what I do. And it's not a religion whatsoever. Um uh, certainly so. So I do stay away from that very much. Like I like to stay away from the word um, altar. Uh, I just call it ah, workspace. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I don't, I don't have an altar. Um, so yeah, what about you? Do you use these words? I, I don't really think you use yeah. the word worship. I've yeah, no, I don't. I don't use the word worship. I don't worship any spirits or gods. I do enjoy the word venerate or honor. I think venerate and honor do not necessarily mean worship. And I think a lot of people will interchange venerate with worship um, a little bit too freely, in my opinion, mostly because venerate really comes down to giving um proper respect to if that makes sense uh mm -hmm. honoring the the being or energetic source that is helping me that just sounds like the right thing to do in the first place i mean that's mm -hmm. how you that is that is part of of what it means to be devoted to your craft be devoted to the contract you have with your spirits so i like the word venerate i use the terms work with a lot mostly because i am working with spirits i am trafficking i am contracting with it is a work it is work <laughs> we have a couple more things to get through and we'll get to final thoughts but i do want to talk about one of the things that i think is really interesting especially as witches love to have tools and collect and 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 have like charmed jewelry and and all sorts of knickknacks and 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 tallywax and things that collect around the house and give a dog a bone give a dog a bone, yes the power from tools um i think this is a really interesting one you you seem like you have something you want to talk about no, well, I was just going to say, I'm actually going to write this down because I think tools could be a whole episode. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to write that down <laughs> for later. Um, I know for for me, like I have a really strong opinion on, on tools. I think- Tell me, what's your I, opinion? I think that, you know, again, this idea that like a witch needs nothing, um, tools limit you, um, I don't know. I know where it comes from. I know it comes from this like idea that we need to transcend that material plane, which I, I just don't understand why. If you claim to be an animist, then there's no transcension of the material plane because you are living within 
the material. Does that make sense? Like people mm -hmm. use tools on the daily. You use your stove. You need fire to cook. You need something hot to, to, to cook, to eat. You need something to carry water. Um, and sure, you could submerge your head in water and drink it. But what about um, cleaning the water or boiling the water or bringing the water to a place where you can boil like all of those things are tools and I know that's like a very reductory way of like looking at 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 things but simplistically like we use tools in our everyday life and therefore we also use tools in magic and there's a reason that in witchcraft we see a lot of these sim these tools that come up i.e. stangs or pitchforks um, cauldrons or cooking pots, knives, and blades of all shapes and various sizes, brooms and looms and spinning wheels. It's because a lot of these tools are used in everyday farm life and witchcraft came up from before before we had things like computers and iPhones and and things like that. So these tools are spirit helpers. These tools have names and are imbued with spirit. The metal that they're made out of matters. The wood that they are made out of matters. The colors, the the reasons that we, like we anoint them in certain things or um, everything has a detail and there's a reason for doing that. What about you? No, I absolutely, I very, I very much agree. And I again, I know where this concept comes from that a witch needs no tools to do magic. And while I understand its essence, especially when it comes to um, I'm calling upon spirit relationships that you have already previously made, again, I get it. I absolutely do, especially because we're in a time of capitalism where everyone wants to sell you everything and you have to have every intention oil and every color of candle and every, and like you need three different knives and a sword and a whole room full of stuff to draw on the floor with like that becomes so cumbersome you're gonna get swing back you get the other way the new thought movement really made people deeply deeply fall into this mindset of your thoughts are things so if you think a certain way you'll bring those things into your life and that really really got mashed with the occult through the 70s and 80s and 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 nowadays a new age you know law of attraction aspect comes up again all of these things have really been put in the same room, even though they are not the same thing. And, and because they're in the same room, they can get a little confusing. So personally, I do believe very much that tools are a part of witchcraft. Now, do I think that when you get Buckland's big blue book of complete witchcraft that you need every tool that it tells you to go out and buy? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I think you could use the majority of things that are most likely already in your home. Uh, I also very much love um, personally made tools, whether that is a tool that you have made for yourself personally, or that you have commissioned from someone whose um, specialty is that for something special. So like, 
I actually don't use uh, uh, knives. I don't use an athame very much. I have two different ones and I have almost never really used it very much. I, Are you a wand girl? I am a wand girl. I do. <gasps> I love that. So, yeah, Yay. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I made the wand. Like I, I went out there. I got the wood. I carved it. I charged it. Um, my stang, I got it from walking around my neighborhood for some recently cut privet wood. I sanded it down. I stained it. I, I did all the things from the actual tools of my land did i pay for any money for any of it i paid for the stain cloth and i paid for the for the uh, uh sandpaper okay that's that's tools of the trade in my opinion um you don't need a huge cast iron cauldron a bowl a fire safe bowl can do the trick um you don't you know you don't need pepper for your kitchen and pepper you keep in your apothecary you can and i've seen places that say you should always separate your witching herbs from your from your spices of your spice cabinet and i'm like well sure if they're all poisonous you don't want to get them mixed up but they don't explain why you're separating it's not that the that the rosemary you keep in your apothecary is totally different from the rosemary you keep in your spice rack especially if they're the same rosemary like it's how you work with it, how you approach it. When it comes to tools, um, I think that you can use tools as a source or an aid to your personal power and your craft. Absolutely. You can hone it. You can um, you can use it as, again, another type of spirit helper. So like, again, the wand that I have worked on, the the incense that I made as a mixture to go over that coal. These are all spirits that I have personally put together. It's not a ton of tools. It's actually, it's not a ton. They're things that I just have put time, attention, energy into. And uh, you can also get into, of course, the aspect of charging and consecrating those tools. So say like you went to um, Troll Cutting Forge, um, and they make you a, a athame that's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, oh my God, Troll Cutting Forge is amazing. And then you get it. And, and now what do you do with it? I might consider doing a small ceremony where I wave it in some dragon's blood incense smoke or some frankincense and myrrh to purify it and make it holy for me, for my practice. And then I might consecrate it under the light of the full moon or sprinkling it with holy water or or taking some sage brush and, and sprinkling it with a, a mixture of something that I have put together, to, a ceremony to to consecrate it as a tool of my magical practice and then from then on every single time i am using that it has been consecrated it has been given a very specific directive the spirit of this blade this wand this broom this this uh cauldron you it is part of your practice it knows you it's bound to you and your craft um that's how i personally view the way that the power of tools can exist. And that's not even getting into charms, talismans, uh, uh, an anklet that's made to protect you, an amulet that you wear specifically to help say, um, I don't know, attract a sexy boy in your life or girl or whatever. Like sac you have all these different ideas and everything, but tools are, are in my opinion, part of a witch's craft and, and they can be part of your personal power too. Right, because the, the material does matter to the witch, like the the spirits that she contracts with are 
they're in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so these things are very important. So lastly, before we close, I want to talk about the power of the witch's body, the power of our individual bodies. Um, After everything we've talked about, I've made spirit contracts. I'm making daily devotionals. I am working within my sacred space on a regular basis. All of these things make me more powerful within my practice, within my craft. They're all there to aid me in the power that already innately exists within. Germinating, as you said. That makes my body powerful. That makes my secretions magic. That makes my hair, my skin, my spit, my blood, my cum. That makes me magical. So when we decide to offer parts of ourselves to spirits, we are making a magical trade. Help from them, magical bits from myself. When I want to invoke a charm, (laughs) using it, using it sort of slightly incorrectly there, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, I may use a blood, I use blood offerings a lot for for very simple magics because it's a very easy spirit, it's it's a type of spirit relationship that I have built within my practice where I may charge or or activate a sigil with a drop of, of blood for myself, maybe with a little bit of spit or a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know, um, breath, because again, the breath itself carries the life that brings you oxygen within your in your body. So when thinking about breath, I mean, if you want to get elemental about it, that's four elements right there. You got heat for fire. You have moisture for water. You have breath for air. And you have the carbon, the body that is literally making this breath, this carbon from earth. So I have done things where my breath, say three breaths of life into a charm bag and close. Adding a little bit, I mean, we all know about cum sigils, wanking out or a rubbing one out onto a uh, sigil and then- Not wanking out. Wanking one out onto a sigil and then charging it with your um, seminal or vaginal fluid. Like you are a magical being as a witch. So when you look at someone with hate in your eye and spit in their path, that's a curse. That's a hex. That is anger and that is saliva. Those are two ingredients right there that are extremely easy to put together and send out in someone's direction. Yeah, I love, um, you know, this idea of as God's uh, breathed life into Adam then so too like when we create things like there's an aspect of blowing on something or breathing life into something when you speak um there is is power to the word and also writing there's power in in, uh, writing something too Mm -hmm. so this idea of blowing upon something breathing upon something and also to to get into the elementalness of it all like or the humoral theory of it all as well like when we think of um the blood uh the blood is is relevant to the sanguine humor right so sanguine meaning blood and it also is relating to the element of air um this is very interesting i think because uh we know that our blood our hemoglobin um and our, our red blood cells convert um 
blood into to energy, right? This is cellular respiration. So there is still, uh, or I'm sorry, they convert oxygen into energy. This is cellular respiration. This is literally why we breathe. This is why we need oxygen is to keep our blood going. That ultimately in, in my cosmological idea of how uh, we see things this is a really good example of like why breath is so important and why the spirit is in the air the spirit is in the blood um a lot of the times we we talk about like to to get rid of something or like bones as uh spirit houses right to exercise the bone of the previous spirit that it is uh that it had within it so that there's like an, an a shell essentially the bone is a spirit house the bone relates to the earth and then we fill that back up with another spirit or blood and a lot of the times we see this as like reddening of bones or submerging bones in um like red ochre or beetroot powder or alkanet so it will redden that bone back up and this is filling it back up with with blood with life um yeah i feel like i just went on a tangent there no no it makes but... total sense i use hair as an offering a lot for things if i am out foraging a lot of times i mean i shed a ton so i i have hair around my house a lot but a lot of times if i am out say for walking my dogs and i happen to see a couple of things that i want to take home i will usually let leave a few strands of hair in the place of where i picked it as a trade um i have used hair in uh, uh charms before for protection i offer hair to the plant and it offers me protection so a bit of me for a bit of it um that's yeah, yeah that's a uh, in my opinion all of these things are wonderful not only magical activators but but offerings simultaneously for the spirits who are then going to do aid for you. There's a um a taboo around cutting uh elder tree, right? Um, that the elder tree is a witch and is a very spiteful tree by its very nature. So if you cut the elder tree, it will cut you back. Mm. Um and it will curse you. So there's a charm. Um uh, I believe it's originally in German, um, but essentially it says like, oh, elder, um, as cut for you um, at the end of my days, so I sh will I return, or as I take some of your bones, I, at the end of my days, I will give my bones back to you. So there's this idea of like, when I die, I need to be buried under this elder tree um, because I took something of hers. So mm -hmm. I need to, 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 to take that back or else she's going to get me. Um, there's a lot of plant lore around like uh, cribs made from elder will kill the baby or take the baby um, in it. So uh, yeah, elder trees, don't fuck around with them. Um, uh, wow, it's Ikea yeah. use, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, yeah, funny. so, but uh, yeah, so um Again, this this idea of, of trade for trade or leaving behind something for for something else. Mm -hmm. So that covers a lot of aspects. I feel like of 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 a witch's power, a personal power. We've covered. We've talked about origin stories. We've talked about spirits. We've talked about evocation versus invocation. We've talked about a little bit about ancestors, elements, deities, tools, and of course the power from your own body. Before we close out. Do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners about maybe getting in touch with or finding their own personal power? 
Yeah, I think well, I think um I made the the bold enough statement that I think people are rather insignificant. Um <laughs> you're not insignificant. Um but I think also too it's very important to inspect where this power comes from, um, why you're operating in these channels if you are operating within them, um, or or the channels that you are operating in, and also questioning why um you know, not doing things so blindly, making sure that you are aware of what you're saying when you're saying spirit contracts um, or what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, and ultimately, too, um, that my final thoughts is we went into, I feel like we spent a good two hours, almost two and a half hours on these uh, things and yet this was like kind of just scratching the surface and i think you could really get into lots of, of different things here so what about you final thoughts no i i very much agree we're scratching the surface of personal power because to be perfectly honest we have showed two completely different cosmologies and both of them are right for ourselves so yeah. all of the information that this episode really really carries today is about kind of lightly informing the listener so they can turn around and figure out how where when and 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 if they want to get personal power which is power that way there's a lot of different ways that it can come as we've shown here and how we address it um i like that we scratch that surface because to be perfect honest i'm not sure we could go much deeper on the subject as a whole because that's going to get into each individual's um perspective worldview and practice so um I, I i hope that this has kind of opened up some of the eyes uh, of our listeners about where their power is coming from what they're a dialogue to. a dialogue yes a dialogue yeah mm -hmm. Well, you've been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on Twitter at MarshallWSL. You can also find me, actually, I'm so excited about this, pretty soon. Um, I probably should have said this at the very beginning. I am now officially a contributor for Pathios Pagan as a columnist and we'll have a once a week column. So that is why my um, blog has been in uh, uh, the ether lately because we've been working on it for almost two months now. And all of my uh, previous blogs are going to be transferred over to Pathios Pagan and all my future blogs will be on Pathios Pagan as well. I will link those pretty soon in my link tree. You can go to my Redbubble shop for merch. When my book comes out, a lot of the art that is in the book is going to be going into Redbubble. So if you like the illustrations, if you're interested in getting some merchandise with any of them on there, check them out. It's all in my link tree in all of my bios. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, even though I am kind of off Twitter right now, um, indefinitely. Um, I'm still there, just not paying attention to the hellscape that is the internet. Um, you can find me at banexbramble.com. I am working on um, uh, Hellish Fumes and Infernal Vapors with Botanica Obscure.
And if I play my cards right, even though I don't want to say anything too preemptively, um, you might see me at another festival um, later in the year. Um, but that is tentative. I also have a lecture titled Poculum Veneris, the Goblet of Venus, um, that will probably come out in February. The date is to be announced. So sorry on that. Usually I like to have dates to tack down immediately. Um, and other than that, I am, uh, of course, doing my womanly wares and all my other operations of spirit contracting, conjuring, and mongering um, at bayonexbramble.com. So be sure to check that out. I'd like to give a special thanks to our Tier 3 Patreon supporters, Kelsey, Johnny, Nathan, Jamesa, or Jamesa, I am not sure, but, but I'll say both. Jennifer, Cindy, Colin, The Witch of Patapsco Forest, John, Giles, Jennifer, Shauna, Bethstetcha, Florence, the Modern Babylon, V, Lisa, Ariella, Keith, Jens, Adity, Tracy, Timothy, Rich Rafa, oh, <laughs> Witch Rafa, the Lady Ghost, and Key Archambald. Thank you so much. We truly couldn't do this show without you. Mm-hmm.